everybody, and welcome to That's Life, the show where we give a shout-out to Khloe Kardashian, who stopped in LAX last night to take a selfie with my kid, and bad job to Kim Kardashian, who could not bother to stop to take a pic with two cute kids. Good morning, folks, and thanks for listening. I'm Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, general manager here at the Nachum Siegel Network. You can find me here every Thursday at 10 a.m., right after Charlie and right before Nachum's live lunch, as I hope to bring you a little entertainment, a little news, and a little relief that the life you are leading is not nearly as wacky as mine. Coming to you from the home of the Nahum Siegel Network on the beautiful Lower East Side, where for the third week in the road, Charlie Harari has somehow or another managed to make it rain. I am joined by Avrami. What is up, AF? How are you, Miriam? You know, stress-free. static here, yeah. Oh, I don't hear any static. You all right? Yeah, I'm good now. And maybe it's the birds. <laughs> by the way, we had somebody in the studio um, this week for a meeting who had never been here before, and all of a sudden she's heard like tweeting and fluttering or whatever, and she jumped. I'm like, no, 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 it's fine. It's completely normal around here. The birds are part of what we do. If you're a new listener to the show, thank you for taking a break from your day to tune in. And if you are a returning listener, thanks as always for making us part of your day. If Miriam L. Wallach once a week is just not enough for you, do what Debbie Eisenberg did. Friend me on Facebook. Send me an invite on LinkedIn. You can also shoot me an email, miriam at nachumsegel.com. I'm not being rude. I am just being honest. We will get back to you afterwards. Also, please follow us on, on Twitter, Miriam L. Wallach, all one word, and Nachum Siegel Net, all one word. We have a very, very, very full lineup today, but I just want to get through a couple of different things and make sure that I cover them. First of all, shout out to Joanna Shebson. Joanna Shebson is the founder, CEO, and what do you call yourself again? Fun expert, chief fun expert, uh, that's CFE for those of you who are keeping track at home, of fun in Jerusalem. Joanna is a contributor here. We have had her on the air a number of times. She's also a personal friend. And her new website launches today. Yes, folks, if you have not seen it already, I recommend that you go to funinjerusalem.com and make sure to plan your trip, your family's trip, and all the events from there. There is so much going on in Jerusalem that you don't want to miss it, and Joanna and her team make sure to keep it uh, to keep it updated constantly. It is incredibly, incredibly exciting. Um, let's get to the fortune cookie. We actually have a packed show today, and my first guest is on hold, and I do not want to keep her holding too long, but I do want to do the fortune cookie. And I also want to mention that there's only one national holiday today of Rami that matters. Do you know what it is? I do not. I, I don't look at things like that, so I will be surprised when we're here. Okay. All right. So here, uh, feign your surprise, even if you heard, but it's National Chocolate Chip Cookie Day. Ah. All right. Yeah. By the way, I brought you a corn muffin. Um, not really <laughs> in celebration, but you know what I'm saying. And the reason I didn't bring you a chocolate chip cookie is because I would have eaten it on the way in. There's, um, there's no willpower when it comes to chocolate chip cookies. And since um, I have a dress to fit into on Sunday for a chasana of one of my Dearest, dearest friends, there is not a chance I'm eating a cookie between now and then. By the way, after I walk down the, the aisle on Sunday, you know, all bets are off. If there are cookies at the other end, you know how when the little kid walks down the aisle, there's like a Barbie, and you're so proud of her that she walked down the aisle, you give her the toy? Somebody's going to be holding cookies for me. I've never seen that. Really? Yeah. Did any of your kids ever walk down an aille? Yeah, and my niece and everything. You've and never seen... I've never seen them get anything at the end. Really? <laughs> all right. Your mother-in-law and my mother-in-law are very different. Anyway, uh, let's do the fortune cookie. Tamara is on hold. And actually, Tamara, maybe, let's see if Tamara's influence is so amazing, so huge that she has influenced our fortune cookie. Is it possible? Is it possible? Oh, Tamara, can you hear me? Yes, hi. Hi, good morning. Thank you for joining me. I will introduce you in a second, but uh, I just want you, 
I want you to hear what the fortune is. Stop trying to do and just do it. Words to live by. Amen, sister. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Okay, Tamara Freudenstein joins us from Israel. She's actually a resident of Scarsdale, New York, but she is spending her gap year or her year abroad in Israel. She has been a volunteer at Reut, and out of that volunteerism, she created an incredible project. She had started it in New York. She is continuing it in Israel. Tamara, welcome to That's Life. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. And tell everybody about what you're doing. Um, basically, two summers ago, I interned at Reut with 11 other girls. Yeah. Um, and I came home determined to raise funds and raise awareness because it is just such an incredible place. So... I created a fashion show called Rayute Runway and hosted the show in Manhattan last year. We ended up raising um, around $60,000, and it was just such a successful night of just fun, but also remembering in the back of our minds that, you know, this is an amazing cause that we're here for. And so I came back this year. I'm studying this year at Bar-Ilan um, University, and... I came back determined again. I, I volunteered at the beginning of this year in the children's department at Rayute. And when you, when, you, when you see firsthand what the hospital does, it's hard to not want to do something. So um, on Monday night is the second Rayute runway show, and I hope it's going to be a huge success. Do you realize that you just mentioned that you raised $60,000 for an organization um, in the same vein like you just got out of bed in the morning? It is. Um, yeah, it's, it really is the most rewarding and fulfilling thing in the world. It's pretty incredible the way you um, took charge, took this, um, took this charity, this organization that is so dear to you, and just, and just ran with it. What made you, as a teen, think you could pull it off? Um, you have to have that faith. You have to have that hope. It's, it, it all seems so surreal, you know. Definitely after last year, I, I knew where to start and how to kind of take it, pick it off up the ground. Um, but you never know. You never know what could happen. And, you know, if I, if I was doing it again in New York, I'd say, you know what, I did it last year in New York. It can happen again. But moving to a whole other country, and st- it's, it's just starting fresh again. It's just like the first time. So, really, it's, the inspiration is my parents. And as cliche as it sounds, I'm so thankful that I have them to inspire me. And generation after generation, you know, my grandma's going to be there on Monday night. Nice. My mom, my mom is going to be there. And my, it was, my grandma started with, with Rayute and then my parents and so now me. So I'm just taking the reins. You, I am just taking the reins. It's, Ke'ilu, you just told me that you got to hand me down. That's how naturally this, you know, it's just so effortless the way you're making it sound. But truth be told, we obviously know that it takes a tremendous amount of courage, it takes a tremendous amount of strength and tenacity in order to pull something like this off. Tomorrow, I have to tell you that you were the inspiration for today's show. Because wow, thank you. Uh, uh no, I I thank you and I'll tell you why. Because um, I got the information about you, and thank you to our friend Ellie Klein for setting this up and for bringing your story and your efforts to my attention. But we got this information, and all of a sudden I said, you know what? I think we should do a show about extraordinary kids. And, yes, I understand that you're not exactly a kid, college, whatever, but 
Um, I will still refer to you as a kid until you're a little bit older, and of course, I will <laughs> I will not get older in the process. Um, exactly. <laughs> but but how does that make you feel in terms of, of of what I just told you? You were my inspiration for today's show. Um, it's obviously a great feeling. Thank you for that. But you know. You say that I'm your inspiration for the show, but I hope to be the inspiration, you know, for other kids because, you know, it's so easy to be able to help others. It really is. You know, people really overrate it. Taking an hour out of your day, two hours, and two hours out of your week, two hours out of, like, it's just, it's so easy. And, you know, like, there's so many different kinds of ways to give back. If you don't like... Hang out, it's, um, hang out with old people, you can go help kids. If you don't like kids, go pack packages for soldiers. If you don't like soldiers, go work in a soup kitchen. You know, it's endless. It really is. The list is endless. So that's really what I try to do. And it's so easy to mesh your, 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 what's fun and what's, what's necessary, which is giving back. And that's what I try to do by this doing this fashion show is that, you know, it's a fun night. I want people to remember that you can come and we're going to have fun but let's remember that we're also helping people. Wow, really, really well said. Because this Monday evening, as Tamara's been excl- explaining, May 19th, uh, Reut Runway, which is a professional fashion show, will be held at Avigdor 22 in Tel Aviv. It will feature top Israeli designers such as Yaniv Percy, Efrat Khalig, and Doran Frankfurt. It will all benefit the Reut Medical Center in Tel Aviv. And if I am not mistaken, you are expecting over 300 guests, which is enormous. It's the size of a chasana, yeah. a size of a chasana. Hopefully, hopefully. Right. And you have enlisted 10 male models and three male models for the fashion show. Yes. T- 10 female models and three, actually four now male models. Yeah. How was it being the person who was bossing around these super attractive professional, you know, uh, fashion runway models you know i was with my friend at one of the meet at one of the meetings we were all sitting around a table with our little notebooks and everyone's shooting around ideas and everyone's nodding and my friend turns to me who's my assistant and katie Feld. she's one of my favorite people in the world i wouldn't be able to do it without her um she turns to me and she goes this is so weird like <laughs> all these people are older than you and you're like 19 and i'm like I know, I don't know, this is so uncomfortable, but you know what, at the back, at the, at the end of the day, you have to remember that this is a professional event, and, you know, you keep your, you keep the, the politeness intact, you keep your, your morals intact, you treat people nicely, and everything will go smoothly. Is there a way that you learned from your fashion show last year and used that experience to impact on this one? A hundred percent. You know, Going into it, you think you, you never know how people are going to react, first of all. You have to treat everyone with kindness. Not that that's a new lesson. It, you should go every day that way. But you really have to hope for the best, expect the worst. You know, people are going to be dropping out last minute. There's going to be chaos that week before. The night of, there's going to be chaos that you don't even know goes on behind the scenes. <laughs> but you, have to, you just have to remain calm. That's, that's the motto, remain calm. It'll all work out. Well, I think that that is probably much easier said than done. I will be honest with you about that. Where do you where do you plan on taking this kind of experience? What's your next step? Um, my next step is interning for 
hopefully a stylist this summer. I I might just be running around getting coffees and filing papers, but I don't mind as long as I get to, you know, move into the industry slowly but surely. Wow. And this is and this is where you always saw yourself or this is what you want to do? Um, this is what comes easily for me. It's what I think I can just do naturally. You know, if I were to tell you what my dreams were, I'd say I'd love to go into music. But, really? Um, I'm taking it I'm taking it one step at a time. That's incredible. What would you want to do in music? I want to produce. Uh, I want to I want to own a record label eventually. Wow. Wow. So you have plans. But then let me ask you something with all of your experience and clearly uh, working with Rayut, which is an incredible organization. Uh, for people who are looking to learn more about Rayut, they can go to rayut.org. That's R-E-U-T-H dot O-R-G. It is one of the largest rehabilitation and chronic care facilities in Israel. How are you going to take your family business of being devoted to Rayut and help um, integrate that when you become this famous music producer? Me and my mom actually had this conversation in December. Really? One of my one of my ultimate ultimate you know I have a lot of dreams but one of my a few of them are music I have my fashion but one of them is obviously helping people and I want to eventually have my own nonprofit organization haven't decided what yet it'll it'll hopefully be established in the in the coming years but um you know I always say like when I have my record label if I have one in your Hashem that you know all my artists are going to have to do something to help others and it doesn't need to be public and it should be private because helping others is a is a private thing it's intimate it's it's not only for the others but it's for yourself it really establishes this this wholehearted feeling inside of you when you leave there's no one that can tell me that when you leave helping like doing charity work or giving back when you leave that place you cannot tell me that you don't feel like the most amazing person in the world or that you don't feel like so accomplished and so like you just fulfilled an amazing task. So honestly, that's what I would, that's what my, that's what my um, future feels like for me. When I, if, if I have a record label, my artists will all be privately doing their own charity work. <laughs> Do you realize you don't sound like a 19 year old? Uh-oh. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. I'm, I mean, I was impressed just from the information that I had been sent. But speaking to you, I'm, I am totally, well, it's pretty bad to be speechless when you're on the air and there are live mics. <laughs> um, that is, that is bad for business on, on many levels. But I am completely humbled by the fact that, first of all, you've already taken on so much and you are an inspiration to, to people who haven't heard of you before but are hearing about you now. And certainly to kids who are going to hear this interview and see the efforts of of your um, or the fruits of your labor, so to speak, when they hear more about the runway show. But your head is on so straight. It is remarkable. In 2014, you are a 19-year-old who really has plans. And by the way, dreams are amazing. Don't ever stop dreaming. But you have plans. Thank you. That's different. You know, I always, I, I, I don't know what to say because honestly, like, it's just, it's just a part of who I am. Like, and I, and that sounds so cliche, but like, my mom has always been the kind of person where we'll sit down at Friday night dinner and she'll be like, I came up with the most amazing idea, you know, Uggs for dogs. Like, this dude, we'll just have these funny <laughs> conversations about ideas. And I think that always taught me to keep changing your goals, keep editing them, keep adding to your list of goals. And, 
and you'll be good. You'll stay happy. You'll stay grounded. Wow. You're, this is absolutely incredible. Well, I, I have to thank you so much, um, Tamara, for joining us. And I wish you complete Hatzlacha. Again, the fashion show is this Monday night. Um, do me a favor. Pull, just uh, remind everybody, what time does it start? 7.30 p.m. Seven? You're in Israel, ni- 19.30. 19.30, yes. For those of you who are in Israel, it starts at 19.30. I don't have to say p.m. or a.m. because... That's PM, folks. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you can get more information at reut.org. That's R-E-U-T-H dot O-R-G. As well as buying tickets on reut.org. As well as buying tickets on reut.org. And, by the way, in any way, shape, or form that you want to help this wonderful organization that has been around for years and is um, the, the true efforts of women out of the Holocaust and, and, again, giving back to their community. This is a wonderful organization to do this. Tamara Freudenstein, I cannot thank you enough. I can't wait to hear a follow-up um, on how this runway show went. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. A- absolutely my pleasure. Thanks so much. You're, li- you're listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network and continuing with our amazing kids, or as I like to say, extraordinary kids doing extraordinary things. We have Uri Putterman uh, on the line right now. He's a senior at Yeshiva University's Marsha Stern Tamilical Academy, affectionately known as MTA or YUHSB.org. And Ori is about to put me to shame for numerous reasons, but he has been named a winner of the 2014 National Merit Scholarship. He is one of just 2,500 designees nationwide, that's across the United States, chosen from a talent pool of more than 15,000 Outstanding finalists who were judged to have the strongest combination of accomplishments, skills, and potential for success in rigorous college studies. Wow, that is one <laughs> that's one heck of a description. Ori, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Totally my pleasure. So first we have a 19-year-old who silences me, and now we have an 18-year-old who's clearly 100 times smarter than I am, um, which is great. That that's that's great for you. You um you have a uh, you have a strong interest. I I was told in economics and computer science. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. What do you plan on doing with that? I mean, you're a smart kid with great hopes, and you're going into the honors program at YU after you study for a year at Gush at Yeshiva Haaretzion. What do you plan on doing with your study as you study economics and computer science? I'm really. I'm really looking forward to being a computer scientist when I grow older, computer science with a, with an MBA, perhaps, and I want to make Aliyah when I'm older. And I think that the computer, the tech industry, is, is a place of, of growth. It's a place where jobs are, and it's really a place that I'm interested in and a place that I'm going to have a future. Wow. Okay, another incredibly articulate teenager who clearly has his head on straight. Tell me what it was like to be told that you were um, a merit winner. Well, it was it was really an incredible surprise. There were one and a half million high schoolers take the National Merit Scholarship test, and then we have to. Then I was chosen for a final. I was chosen as a finalist. That's the top fifteen thousand, and then I sent in. I sent in my grades. I sent in an essay, and I sent in a school recommendation. And I thought that would be it. And they told us that normally it's minority students who win this award. So. I didn't really think I had the chance. When I got the letter in the mail, it was obviously extraordinarily surprising. I was very happy. It, the scholarship means a lot, and it's, it's nice to be recognized by the National Merit 
scholarship corporation. No, I'm cer- I am certain, and I want you to know that clearly Yeshiva University is proud of you as well, because that's how I was notified. I received a press release from YU, and, and they should be proud, and as all of us, we should be proud. Um, does a does it, being a scholar make you a leader, Ori, in your opinion? I mean, I try to look at myself as a leader outside of any scholarships and medals I receive. I've been working in the Ketatora Youth Department in Teaneck for the past seven years. I've worked in, in camps as a lifeguard, different things, and I don't think... I don't use the award to motivate to motivate myself to be a better leader. I want to be the best person that I can and lead however I can, regardless of who's what, who's looking out for me. Wow, that's incredible. Tell me about some of that work that you do with younger kids. Um, tell, tell me about that, because that also has to drive you to succeed and be better. I mean, I work in a group for first and second grade boys, again, at, at Ketatora and Teaneck, and watching them come in every day and seeing the smiles on their faces as they're playing games, as they're davening, and seeing how they watch me and how I have to, how I have a sense of responsibility. My boss, Rifty Rosenthal, she always tells us, you guys are these, these kids will grow up to be you. I remember my current co-counselor, he was my group leader seven, eight years ago, and I remember that that's who I want to be one day. And knowing that I'm going to be, these kids are looking up to me, and I'm the role model. It gives me this great sense of, of joy to see them happy, and to I wish them I wish that they succeed. That's great. That is wow. That is really very impressive. And by the way, thick skin and kudos to you for working with first and second grade boys. <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy, I can say that. No, I can't imagine. And I was just going to ask you what the hardest part. Clearly, it's rewarding, and and I totally get that you feel rewarded by the experience. But what's the hardest part? For an 18-year-old boy about working with first and second grade boys? The hardest part is seeing the look on their faces when they know they did something wrong and they have to make up for it. Yeah, it gets so, easier when you're a parent. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I apologize. When they, when they, when you, um, when they see the face, when you see their face, when they know they've done something wrong. Right, and that just, and it kills me because they broke the rules, they spoke up when we were trying to get the group quiet, and they know that now they they can't have, they can't be playing a game later with the group or they lose special snack or whatever it is, or they lose a raffle card, and it just kills them because they know that they want to be good, and they know that we, we as the group leaders want them to be good, and when they disappoint us and as well as disappoint themselves, just seeing that recognition, it, it hurts. No, oh, I... Uh, you know, it's. Um, I totally understand where you're coming from, and um, there is that soft moment where you know you have to be strong, but your heart breaks for them. Right, and when when kids cry, and and I, it hurts. It yeah, hurts. It it certainly does. But it is it is nice to hear a a soft a senior. Um, a high school senior to be so sympathetic is actually very sweet. Ori Putterman, he is a senior in MTA. Um, he plans on going to Yeshiva University and continuing after his year in Har Etzion. He will be part of the Jay and Jeannie Schottenstein Honors Program. He hopes to study economics and computer science. He is a merit scholar, which is what brings him to our show today about extraordinary kids doing extraordinary things. You mentioned a second ago about role models and how you hope that these kids see you as a role model and you know that you are modeling for them, hopefully, good behavior. Do you have particular role models? I'd like to start off with thanking 
Dr. Berliner, who's a teacher at MTA. He also works at Yeshiva University. And for my first day in MTA, I was put into a class with juniors, with Dr. Berliner as a teacher. And this class, AP Calculus, was different than any other class I had ever taken. And Dr. Berliner, he, he said on the first day that this course, it's not, it's not an easy A. You want to take the AP, you want to succeed, it requires hard work. And the way he structured the course was that if you didn't study for a quiz, the average grade on quizzes was a 50. Mm. The best kids got 70s and 80s. The worst kids, the kids who didn't study as much, who didn't put in the time, they didn't, they didn't do so well. And just from day one in high school, being told that the way to success is hard work, it wasn't the smartest kids who succeeded. It wasn't the most talented, the best at sports, the, the kids who were best at talking to the teacher. It was the kids who put in the hard work, and hard work pays off, and that's a lesson that I thank Dr. Berliner, and I worked hard in the class, and thank God I succeeded. Wow. First of all, the fact that you learned a moral lesson out of AP Calc is, is, pretty, <laughs> is pretty incredible, but I have, to, I have to ask you one question. You said on your first day of, a, of MTA, you, you were put in an AP Calculus class in ninth grade? Yeah, so... Yeah, you're going to have to explain that one. (laughs) When I was in sixth grade, I was in math class, and I wasn't learning as much as I could be learning. So I I went to the school, I spoke to my parents, and I said, let's find some program where we can perhaps move me to an accelerated math, move me up a grade. And we found this online course to take Algebra 1. So I took, it was around the middle of the year. I took that course. I finished it. I did well. Then the next year, in seventh grade, I couldn't sit in the regular seventh grade math class because I had just taken the whole year. So in seventh grade, I took Algebra 2 and Geometry online. And in eighth grade, I took Pre-Calculus. And so that set me up when I got to MTA. And my parents, because I had an older brother in the school, they had already talked to the school and prepped them. And when I, when I talked to MTA, they said it was a very natural transition for me to go straight to AP Calculus. So, yeah. So why would you bother taking the SATs at all? Like, why didn't they just, you know, give you the merit scholarship without you having to do anything? <laughs> I'm not... I actually don't think my SAT score is not it at all. It was the... Uh the pre-test that, that they cared about. Yeah, well, I'd say no need to take any further testing for the rest of your life. Um, Amen. Yeah, no no joke, by the way, no joke. Um, what is, what, so, I'm still fascinated by this, and kudos to you. I mean, I went early admissions to Stern, but I certainly did not study AP Calculus in ninth grade. What did you do after that? I mean, what did you study in math once you finished AP Calc in ninth grade? What did you do for the last so, three years? Tenth grade, I took calculus PC. Then in 11th grade, as you said, I was stuck and I had a math requirement to finish, so I started taking math courses in Yeshiva University down the block. Sure. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not making fun of you. I'm really not. My brother is also a math genius um, with a PhD in mathematics from Courant, so I completely appreciate people who look at numbers as more than just telephone numbers or Amex statements. I I really... Um, I get it completely, but to me it is just baffling, and I give you a tremendous amount of credit. Again, Ori Putterman, you, by the way, you're from Bergenfield. Yes, I am. You're from Bergenfield. You're a proud graduate of Yavna Academy. How did Yavna, by the way, shape your education? As I said, Yavna just provided me with a lot of opportunities. They they let me take this online course. It was unheard of. A kid leaves not showing up to math class, going to the computer, going to the computer lab, and 
just working during class, first of all, the assumption is that anyone, no kid in junior high wants to be in class. True. And then they, they help me find the course and they really push me to do my best. And that's, they gave me a good foundation. So it's so, it's so interesting to me how really all of your educational experiences, um, it seems, it seems from, from where I'm sitting, haven't frustrated you, but instead you've used them or worked within the parameters and said, okay, this doesn't apply to me, this doesn't work for me, and I need to continue growing. So what am I going to do within the parameters? And clearly all of these different institutions have seen in you the talent that exists and a, a unique one at that. And in order to foster that, they have... They have facilitated your success by giving you these opportunities as well. But it seems to be symbiotic. You've presented them with options. You brought them things because you also understood your strengths, but within their parameters. And, and you work together collaboratively. Right. And I just, I thank the institutions for making themselves available to me. I don't know if I was in a different high school, whether I wouldn't have the option to take any, all my courses this year, all my secular classes are at Yeshiva University. If I was in a different high school where I didn't have the option to take college courses, maybe I wouldn't have taken calculus in freshman year. My education would have been set back. Wow. Well, I, I have to thank you, Ori, for joining me today. I imagine as a senior in May, you, you have a little free time, so I'm happy that we worked the interview in to your busy schedule. But I want to leave with one final question. I had mentioned that this show today was about extraordinary kids doing extraordinary things. Do you consider yourself or your talent extraordinary? No. I, I just work hard and hope for the best. Wow, that is a tremendous amount of humility, and I give you unbelievable credit. I, I am completely in awe of my first two guests. I can't imagine my third is going to shock me any less. Um, but, Ori, I have to thank you for joining me. I wish you continued Hatzlacha in all that you do, and I imagine, I bet, that we will be hearing again from you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And thank you to everyone at CPA and Yeshiva University for bringing your amazing story to our attention. You're listening to That's Life here at, Nahum, at the Nahum Siegel Network. And my third guest, who I don't even know if I can talk to her without tears in my eyes when, I, when so many different anecdotes about her were shared, joins me now on the phone from West Hempstead. Nikki Fierst is a 17-year-old senior at Hank who also seems to have some free time on her hand. And when I contacted NCSY about uh, the program I was doing today and I was looking for an extraordinary kid doing extraordinary things, Nikki's name was at the top of their list. Nikki, thank you for joining me. Hi. There we are. Hi, Nikki. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am good. So I have to tell you, I have three incredible anecdotes, and I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm really not. I'm really not. <laughs> um, but when I asked you for your for your bio, you basically told me, yeah, I'm a 17-year-old. I'm in Hank. I'm, I'm involved in, in NCSY. And, you know, you were totally, I don't want yeah, shy about it. I don't even know if that's the right word. But you clearly, you clearly were not saying to me, "I'll tell you why I'm extraordinary." This is why. But instead, I have anecdotes from Rabbi Yehoshua Cole of NCSY, from Rabbi Arye Lightstone, who is a host here at the Nachum Siegel Network and who was an NCSY advisor of yours, and from your dad, Barry Fierce, who is on, who uh, I'm sure is listening. And a shout out to Barry. So, what do you think those three people would be saying about you? 
Okay. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, Rabbi Cole mentioned when I said, why is Nikki extraordinary? He said to me, there's like a million reasons. How about that? By the way, nobody has ever said that about me. I'm just saying. Um, but to start out, you are the regional president of NCSY. And you, according to Rabbi Cole, rep- truly represent what NCSY is about. You started in public school. You're from Long Beach, correct? Correct. You started in public school. You started coming to programs. You grew tremendously. All this is according to Rabbi Cole. And you made big strides in your observance, which made you move to Yeshiva High School, which I guess brought you to Hank. Yeah. And now you're going to learn next year in Eretz Yisrael. And aside from that, he says, you have an endearing, warm, bubbly personality and a beautiful story that uh, that you told in a captivating way at Havdalah on Winter Regional, which um, I would love for you to share if you feel comfortable about it, comfortable with it. I would love to. <laughs> okay, so tell us about it. Um, so basically, I started off in public school just like any other Jewish kid in my town, Jewish, like, emphasized the ish. And, well, I didn't really know anything about my heritage or about Judaism in general. And if you ask me, like, what kosher man, I would probably say, like, oh, yeah, like, that means the rabbi blessed it. Like, I know what kosher is. It's like, that's sort of the way I grew up, the way I lived. And I was happy. I loved school. I loved my friends. I was on sports teams. And I was totally happy. And... I got to high school, and, and so I had a program called JSU Clubs. And in the JSU Clubs, basically, you don't, like, learn so much about religion, more about, like, Israel and pro-Israel action and, like, sort of, like, what it means to have a Jewish state. And when I started learning about it, I just was immediately, like, grabbed by it, and I was like, there's just a whole world that I don't even know about. Like, I, I've never even heard of any of this. And I started going on Shabbatones and small ones at first because I was very nervous and I went on my first regional and I decided like okay so this is a Shabbaton where I'm completely in a surrounding where everyone's positive so I'm just going to try and keep Shabbos and I tried my best and I did it and it was the first time I ever kept Shabbos and learned what it really was and I fell in love with everything immediately. Wow. Wow. That is incredible. What was the part of Shabbos that that I mean, there's a there's a joke I have here that that it had you at hello. That as soon as you met it for the first time, you were taken by it. What was it about Shabbos that took you for the first time? I think that it was just that everything in Judaism has a meaning, and when you go through life in public school, it's just it's giving into your desires. It's like, oh, I want to go to the mosque, so I'm going. Like it's very a materialistic lifestyle, and they you just kind of start thinking about like then what is life if everything is just doing what you immediately want to do? And, like, during Shabbos, it's like, we're turning off your phone. Like, you're not connected to the world. You're not texting your friends. You're not on Facebook. You're not on Twitter. You're not playing Candy Crush or anything of the sort. You're just with the people you're with. And I've never sat around the table at a meal and completely been in the conversation that's going on because my phone's on my lap and it's vibrating and every time I look at it and... I've never really been in my place. And I realized just like sitting at meals, sitting in circles, just talking to people, every conversation is genuine because no one is distracted. And that's what really made a difference to me when I first noticed. Wow. That is incredibly powerful. And just just like the two people, the two interviews that we had on before you, you completely 
are, are just leaving me speechless. I am in unbelievable awe, and I would have to tell you that I, I'm, I'm sure it wouldn't shock you that there have been people who have been observing Shabbos their entire lives and don't see it that way, which is, of course, sad and, of course, upsetting, but it is so incredibly refreshing and um, heartening to listen to you talk about Shabbos with such passion and such appreciation, especially especially in 2014, when when kids often are distracted by so much that the spiritual either is beyond them or not something they want to engage in. But you look at the spiritual and say, wow, this is just, this is what it's about. Right. And I think it's important because, like, kids, even in my very own school, like, they come up to me and ask me, like, like what, what made you do it? Like, you didn't have to. And, like, it's for us, it's like our parents forced us and all this is forced into. And, like, all I can say is, like, just take a step back and look at the beauty that's around you. Like, it's such a privilege to be able to go to a school and, like, have teachers that are teaching you Torah and teaching you life lessons as opposed to in public school. And the teachers are great and the academics are amazing but they're not teaching you anything about life. It's all just academics and extracurriculars and what looks good for college. And the teachers here really genuinely care about you. And it's such a difference that I noticed. Wow. Holy cow. I don't, I don't know if you can even, by the way, appreciate the enormity of the words coming out of your mouth, but I am, I am just completely in awe. I really am completely in awe and I am, I'm so thankful. <laughs> I'm so thankful to NCSY to introducing me to you because on the list of extraordinary kids doing extraordinary things, I would say that the, what, the words that just came out of your mouth are simply extraordinary. And it speaks to something that Rabbi Arya Lightstone wrote to me in an email about you. He said, to me, the most impressive thing about Nikki isn't her maturity, but it is her vision. We most often complain that a teen can't see past tomorrow. I'm not entirely sure Nikki can see tomorrow, but I'm fairly certain she sees her mid-20s very clearly and knows or thinks she knows the steps to get there. It sounds like he's 100% right about you. Thank you. Where do you see yourself when you're 20s? Um, hopefully still living in the Orthodox world that I'm living in today and... I don't know, dating. <laughs> <laughs> what do you plan to do? Um, what do you? What, what are your interests in, in in as a career? So either I decided that I wanted to study law, and my father's a lawyer, so I would kind of have that set up for me, or I want to go into education and have, have a dual degree with special ed. Wow, that's incredible. By the way, I want to just um, take a moment to, to write something that, to share something that your dad wrote to me as well. Um, and he wrote, it was very sweet. He said, in my capacity as the indulgent father and the exclusive owner of bragging rights, I can tell you that when Sandy hit, and again, you live in Long Beach, on the waterfront, as the water was pouring into the house, he writes, Nicole simply filled her rubber recreational raft with food, taken from the pantry and refrigerator, and as much of the family photos as possible, and pulled the raft trip after trip to the bottom of the stairs leading up to her bedroom, where your mother, your father, and and you were going to be holed up for the duration. You made many trips ferrying that raft back and forth, repeatedly walking up the stairs with the cargo. And it just speaks to your courageous nature. And your father writes, believe me, the Sandy Deluge was scary, but Nicole did not flinch. That's unbelievable. What kind of presence of mind did it take you 
with the waters rising to get into your raft and start saving family artifacts? Well, I kind of just, I think what made me decide what I wanted to do was instead of just rushing and being in a panic, I kind of just stopped and I took a deep breath and I said to myself, like, okay, so there's nothing to change. There's nothing I can do to change what's going on right now. Like, what am I going to say? What's the most important? And then I realized, okay, like, we're going to need food if we're going to be upstairs. I don't know how long it's going to take for the water to recede and family pictures and valuables and just things that can't be replaced. And I think that without taking a step back, like, often we're very, like, even in life, like, it's very, like, on the minute, like, what's the next second? What am I going to do? But it's important in general for all of us to just take a step back and, like, take a breath and say, like, okay, what's next? What's next is right. Um, Nikki, I am thrilled that we were able to spend time together on the phone. By the way, where are you studying in September? In Tiferet. In Tiferet. Beautiful. That is that is amazing. They are very lucky to have you. Where are you going after Tiferet? Do you know yet? Um, hopefully I plan on being in Turo in Manhattan. Incredible. Well, I wish you complete Hatzlacha both um, with your educational journey and your continued spiritual journey. We are all on spiritual journeys, but it sounds like you have yours on really straight. Nikki Fierst, you are an extraordinary kid doing extraordinary things, and I thank you for joining us today on That's Life. Thank you. You have been listening to That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network, and my fourth and final guest is going to put this all together. Dr. Michael Solomon is the founder and director of the Adult Development Center in Hewlett, New York. It is a comprehensive psychological consulting practice. He empowers individuals and families to cope with various psychological challenges that arise throughout life, including alcoholism counseling, substance abuse, crisis management, child and family and marital counseling, interventions, and therapeutic, oh, sorry, therapeutic interventions and gerontology is presently on staff as well at North Shore University's hospital. He has taught at CW Post in uh, LIU. He's taught at Turo and New York Institute of Technology, and he is a repeat guest, a contributor here at That's Life. Dr. Solomon, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am very well, and I'm completely in awe of the three uh, teenagers we've just had on the air as part of our Extraordinary Kids Doing Extraordinary Things episode here at That's Life. And I have to ask you, Dr. Solomon, what makes these kids tick? That's an excellent question. If we had the answer to that, we'd bottle it up and we'd make a million dollars. Well, actually, there are a couple of issues that we, we look at when we talk about teenagers. And first is that there's a biological given. Every teenager mm. has a, a matured, maturation level that they hit at some point in time. Some, some of them hit it at a younger age, some at a later age. There's some sort of genetic predisposition towards certain motivational factors that they have, meaning that they are inbred. They have something in them that leads them to things that really turn them on. Um, and, and then there's the, the factor of um, their environment and how that encourages them to do the things that they, they choose or don't choose to do. Um, you know, teens are weird. <laughs> well said there. Um, well, we just don't always understand where they come from. We've all been there, and, and it's hard for us to always remember what we were like at that point. But if we take a step back and think about it, we all had these intense emotions and we had these uh, strong reactions, and we all had these ideas of what we wanted to be, and sometimes we would rise to an occasion, and sometimes we would totally shirk from that particular challenge. Mm. Um, and sometimes it's just hormonal, and sometimes uh, we just don't know why. Um, but there are things that parents do and teachers do that, that help children become exceptional. Mm. 
first and number one is, and I tell parents this all the time, is that children, even teenagers, even the most brilliant of them, they make mistakes. And it's better right. to educate them that it's, they, to learn from their mistakes than to discipline them for their mistakes. Hmm. Um, second is, um, children need to develop a sense of trust in the world, in themselves, and in the people who are guiding them. And the only way they're going to get that is if they're given some respect for their ideas and their, their desires and what they really want to be challenged by. Uh, parents sometimes don't understand that very well. So they, they will basically uh, insist that children do certain things, certain extracurricular activities or, or do extra homework right. or whatever it is right. and not respect the child's own interests. Right. Um, that doesn't mean that parents shouldn't be setting boundaries. They need to set boundaries. They need to set uh, reasonable sleep hour boundaries. They need to uh, set boundaries with the social media. They need to have expectations for the friendships that their children keep. But those boundaries have to be reasonable, and they should be negotiable and based on legitimate uh, concerns and, and child-rearing practices with, within the individual family. Another really important thing is that parents need to listen to their children, hmm. particularly teenagers. Right. Uh, if you're not listening to them, you're missing very important information. Um, I, an example I just had the other day, um, seeing this wonderful 13-year-old young man who is probably a, a music prodigy. Uh, he plays seven instruments. Oh, my. Seven. He, he is absolutely uh, excellent with all seven of these instruments, and he plays them in school bands and orchestras, and he does he has a private band that, that they play at uh, school affairs and, and Holy parents' parties. And his parents want him to be on a swim team. <laughs> now, he's a good swimmer, <laughs> but they just don't get the music. <sighs> and so they're missing out on the wow. fact that they could be motivating this child to be something extra special because of their own vicarious needs of living through him. It really is important to listen to children. Holy cow, seven instruments. Seven instruments. He only took lessons for one. The rest he taught himself. Sure. I play the spoons, by the way, if we're just if we're just mentioning that. Let me ask you, though, about a child with, with such exceptional talents. Are we concerned about their ability to to integrate and to, to um, socialize with other kids, or for him it hasn't been an issue? For him in particular, it hasn't been an issue, but there are some prodigies who, who burn out early because they're lacking other things. Their social skills may not be up to certain levels, so they're all intellect and not very much emotion. Or, or they don't have uh, the wherewithal to perceive certain social cues. But those are, ex those are children who are exceptional in other ways. Right. Um, I'm not talking about those, those uh, specific type of genius levels. I'm talking about kids in general. The truth is, this particular music prodigy is a prodigy in music, but every child has an area where they can excel mm. if we allow them to find it, if we encourage them to find it. How do we encourage our kids to find it? You know, there are so many adults who haven't found their own their own expertise, their own niche, their own way to contribute. And so we, we see plenty of parents, we see plenty of adults who are still on the sidelines. So when you look at the, at the next generation, how do we make sure that we are giving kids the opportunity to engage and helping them find that, that inner niche or what makes them extraordinary so that they aren't on the sidelines? Well, usually you can get an inkling of that from their educational environment. If, it, if they're in a school that, that provides them with a broad range of activities and, and extracurriculars and, and sports where they can get involved in a variety of things, you can start to grasp what attracts them, what motivates them, what makes them feel good. 
um, and what they're really good at. Uh, that's that's one. Two is at home, if if they're just you know sitting in front of their screens, whatever they are, their their iPods or iPads mm-hmm. or or computers or right. television, you're not going to really get an idea. But if you encourage them to do other things and ask them and listen to them and find what uh, attracts them, then you're likely mm-hmm. to find out. Parents generally don't do that. They kind of make decisions for their kids too often without really listening. Right. And, they have to, and you have to have patience with the, the degree they learn at. Like uh, using the music analogy again, there's this one particular child uh, I've been working with who wants to learn to play piano. And the parents don't want to get a piano because they, it's a big expense. Right, that. sure, sure. And the um, truth is we don't know if the kid has a talent or not. <sighs> so we have to find a way to see if he does. So maybe we can go out and rent a, one of those electronic keyboards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe he can take a couple of lessons with a good teacher who can tell us whether or not the child has a talent. But the parents are really being a little bit stubborn and not listening. Interesting. So, you know, that we may be missing the point with that child. And then there's this child who's really good at chemistry and has really interesting ideas. He's in 10th grade, and he uh, wants to get involved in the science fair. And his father's telling him that he should do an, a science experiment for the science fair that the child has no interest in. <laughs> so we're close, but not that close. Right. We, we haven't hit it. Right. So here, here's a child telling you something specific, um, and and you're not listening. You know, <laughs> come on. Right. Right. A hundred. A hundred percent is that that is a parent who is also not engaged. And of course, this is something that you and I have spoken about a million times. We talk about the helicopter parent. We talk about the parent who hovers and who. Uh, you know, micromanages the child's life and who makes sure that there are 17 after-school activities and there are this and there are that who accompany the children to the play date and do not disengage. When do, when do parents like that realize the mistakes that they're making? Or are you going to tell me sometimes they don't? Sometimes they don't. And that's, why, that's one of the reasons why we sometimes have adults who are still finding their way. Mm, sometimes they do disengage, but it's usually when the child is in their mid to late 20s and the child has decided they want nothing to do with their parents. Too late. So it's too, too late. late at that moment. Right. And then, then, again, in a recent situation, this fellow went to medical school and he was in his fourth year of medical school and he comes to me and says, help me get my parents off my back. I hate medical school. I never wanted to be a doctor. <gasps> they wanted me to be a doctor. I'd oh. rather be a lawyer. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. And then what? And then what? Well, you know, I can't tell you the specifics of this situation, no, I, but of I can course. give you a generic answer, which is I say to him, look, you're an adult. You have to make right. your own decisions. And, uh, you know, you're in your fourth year. You're about to graduate. Maybe you should graduate and then go to law school. Or, you know, uh, maybe you should just need to make a decision and move on. You have to be strong and assertive and know what your talents are and where you want to go. Is there a nature versus nurture here, Dr. Solomon? Is it possible for a kid to have that innate, I want to be involved, um, gene, but live in a house where the parents have never engaged and are not givers and are not doers, and he can or he she can um, basically swim against the tide and make their own way? Depends how strong that child is. Mm. Uh, I'd like to say yes, and there are some examples that I can, individuals that who've done that, but uh, it's hard to say. It, it kind of depends. And usually nature doesn't necessarily go against nurture. It's usually working together if a parent is willing to encourage a child to do that. I mean, I wasn't able to listen to the entire show, but the pieces that I heard of those exceptional children was that parents seem to have given them a little bit of encouragement. Right. And give a little encouragement, it's like planting a seed. You'll get a tremendous tree afterwards. Just oh, wow. a little bit of water and planting of the seed and, 
and that child will grow into something exceptional later on. And if you look around, I mean, the, the, the person who was the, uh, the uh, child prodigy in high school, when I went to high school 100 years ago, um, he went to medical school, he's a successful doctor, but there are other people in my class who were you know, not necessarily in the high end of the class academically, who are some of the most successful people you will ever find <laughs> now. Right. Um, so there are a combination of factors, and all these variables add together over a period of time. But the key factors are knowing what you're good at, mm. being encouraged in that area, and having opportunities to excel in those particular areas that are of interest to you. Well, that is that is great advice. Dr. Michael Salomon, again, he's the founder and director of the Adult Development Center in Hewlett, New York. Dr. Salomon, if somebody wants to reach you, what is the best way to reach you? Phone number 516-596-0073. Uh, you can try the email also, which is dr, for doctor, m-j-s-a-l-a-m-o-n at gmail.com. Fantastic. Dr. Salomon, thank you as always for being a part of the show and certainly for helping to bring our story of extraordinary kids doing extraordinary things all together. I really appreciate it. As always, my pleasure. Thank you, sir. You've been listening to That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Miriam L. Wallach. Thank you for making us part of your day. Let's go through the lineup for the rest of the day so you know what to expect, what to look forward to, and what not to miss. We have a full afternoon of programming for you right after That's Life. The live lunch is today from 11 to 1. As we say, we start with brunch, we end with lunch. And sitting in for Nachum today is Avrami, who is actually already in the catbird seat. He is behind the uh, the board, he is ready to go, and I'm sure knowing him, the first song for the live lunch is already in queue. Am I right? Yes, it is. Of course it is. And then today at 1 p.m., the stunt show hosted by Mayor Fertig, where Mayor explores the possibility of Jonathan Pollard finally being released from prison after 30 years. Plus, joining Mayor later on in the show, Rabbi and blogger Rabbi Eliyahu Fink joins the program. And Mike Boxer, the man behind much of the acapella music we have been listening to for weeks, joins Mayor as well. Then at 2 p.m., it's Throwback Thursdays, encoring Jamin and Am from years past, which is always so much fun to listen to. Homeward Bound encores at 4.30 with Yigal Siegel. And by the book, hosted by Nahum, Encores at 5 p.m. this week with Rabbi Wine. Then Michael Fragan's spin class at 6 p.m. Michael is joined by JTA editor Ami Eden and the Young Israel's Farley Weiss and possibly somebody from J Street. We're still waiting to hear back from them. Charlie Burnout at 7 p.m. wraps up the lineup. Tune in all day long. Join Nahum tomorrow morning from 6 to 9 as he hosts JM and the AM live here on the stream at NahumSiegel.com, JamandAM.org. 91 90.9 and 91.9 FM. Don't miss, don't miss the weekly update with Malcolm at 7.40. And of course, table for two tomorrow morning and, uh, from, at 9 a.m. That's with Naomi Nachman. She is wonderful. Make sure to listen to that show as well and updated 2014 schedule on our website, NachumSiegel.com. With that, what a full show we had. I leave you with the Maccabees, Ra'u Banim. Sort of seems very poignant today. The live lunch starts in just a few minutes with a rummy. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys.
Shulchan Ushira, Mizimcha Raba, V'yamran Achula, Moshe Bnei Yisrael, Lechan Ushira, Mizimcha Raba, V'yamran Achula, Moshe Bnei Yisrael.